Morning. Morning. How are you? Good? All right. Good. Hey, uh, let me uh, start by asking you a question. Uh, What does it mean, like we just saw on the screen, what does it mean to be a cheerful giver? Uh, That's a phrase that the Bible uses. It's someone who can give of their resources, what they have to others, not reluctantly, but cheerfully. Now, for many of us, that just that doesn't describe. It probably doesn't describe most of us in the room, right? Some of you already tensed up a little bit already, right? Because sometimes we get nervous uh, whenever people allude to money, especially in church. But here's the deal. Jesus talks about money, our finances, uh, so often that it made his top three topics of things he talks about the most. You know what the top three topics are that Jesus talks about most in the Gospels? I think most American Christians might guess that they were probably things like parenting, a life balance, and spiritual gifts or something. But actually, it was kingdom of God, hell, money. (laughs) Oh, that's intense. Okay, God wants us to give cheerfully, but how do you actually do that? That's what we want to talk about today. You know, there was once a mom who uh, had her daughter with her in church, little girl, and she gave her little girl on the way into church, she said, I'm in, honey, I'm going to give you a dollar and uh, a quarter. And she said, I want you to keep one of them and place the other in the offering when it goes by. And as they were driving home, the mom asked the daughter, she said, sweetheart, which, which one did you end up giving? And the girl said, well, at first I was going to give the dollar, but then I heard the pastor talking about how God loves a cheerful giver, and I thought I would be more cheerful if I gave a quarter. (laughs) So I gave a quarter. No, and I think it's funny, right? Except there's this verse in the Bible, which we're going to spend most of our time on today, that God loves a cheerful giver. And I think that's actually how a lot of people interpret that verse, that God loves a cheerful giver. We think, well, if it hurts to give, if it's sacrificial to give, then I wouldn't be giving cheerfully. And so I'm going to find a number that doesn't hurt so I can give cheerfully. And yet in that context, that's not what that verse is actually saying. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to contextually look at this fascinating verse in the Bible as we start a new short series on uh, generosity. So we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. So uh, if you have a Bible, you can open that up. Otherwise, you can use the Renovation Church uh, app. You just tap on Bible and weekly verses. We're going to be kind of hanging out mostly in the same spot today in 2 Corinthians 9. Uh, Paul, if you don't know much about 2 Corinthians, he's writing to the Christians at Corinth. And one of the main reasons that he's writing is Paul's about to visit them again, and he's planning on collecting a financial offering that's going to help the Jerusalem church, and specifically their poor. And the Corinthians have actually already pledged to give to this offering, and Paul's writing to make sure that they're ready to fulfill their pledges. And you can read about this whole sort of broader message about generosity in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, which is actually something I recommend that all of you do this week. If you're looking for something to read in the scriptures, read those two chapters. I think it would help broaden your understanding of these verses we're going to look at today. So we're chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 6 and 7 right now. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly 
or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Okay, so let's start with this principle of verse 6, if you're still looking at it. What that's saying, if, if you get lost in kind of the uh, agricultural reaping and sowing terms, uh, what he's saying is basically, if you're a farmer and you only go out and plant a few seeds, say you only plant 10 seeds, well then, if you sow 10 seeds, you're going to reap right, not much of a crop, and you might have 10 plants come up. But he's saying, if you sow generously, if you plant a lot of seeds, well, then you're going to have a larger, generous crop. And we're going to come back to this verse a couple times in this short series, because it kind of uh, permeates uh, a lot of what we're going to discuss. And then Paul says in verse 7, he says that you should give, but when you give, it's important that you give from your heart, not from your income, not even from your budget. Now, again, we're we're actually, it's quite dangerous to just pull this verse out at random, and a lot of people do. We really got to look at it in the broader context of this whole messaging on generosity, which is chapters 8 and 9, and really probably the most important verse in that broader section of 2 Corinthians comes from chapter 8, verse 9. So I'm going to throw that up on the screen so you can look at it. So Paul, while he's encouraging the Corinthians to give. He gives them the foundational reason why we give as Christians. Look at this. It's theological. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And so what's that saying? Is, well, think, about, think about everything that Jesus has in heaven, Right? And Jesus is going to trade his rich throne for a dirty manger. So that we, in our poverty, because we have nothing, can have the riches of salvation. This is the foundation to everything of generosity. We're to be generous like Jesus because Jesus sets this incredible example of what it means to give your life. To be generous. So I'm going to call this point number one of how to give cheerfully because we give as Christians, that's what we do. And I want to begin to reframe when you do that every week, when you give an offering every week or you help out your neighbor, you help out the poor, the the desire is that we do that cheerfully because it's a major part of being a Christian. I want you to be able to do it with joy, not just uh, how we normally come to it, which is just to be downright about it or however you might. So let's throw up the first point here. So how do you give cheerfully? Number one is this, deeply understand what God gave to you in his son, Jesus. Deeply understand the generosity of Jesus. So as a Christian, when we give, our giving has to be rooted in the gospel. So in other words, you can't seriously be cheerfully generous if you don't understand how amazingly generous God was to you. So this is bring our minds back to the gospel. I want you to picture yourself, let's say you're in court. Whoops. Uh, let's say you're in court, and you're on trial, and all the people that you have ever hurt in your entire life are in the room. And all the people you didn't help when you should have are in the room, and all the mistakes and sins you've ever made, whether it's just internally or externally, are playing on a screen for everyone to watch. So this, this trial is going to take a little while. And you're on trial for these sins, and you know that you're guilty, right? And everybody in the room knows that you're guilty. But right before the judge's gavel is about to come down, a man stands up and says, you know what, Your Honor, I will take the punishment for this person so they can go free. Now, if that happened, 
that would be the most generous thing that anyone has ever done for you in your entire life, right? And yet that's exactly, exactly what Jesus did for you. He loves you so much that he died on the cross taking your punishment for all of your sins so you could be set free. That's the good news of Christianity. And when you truly understand that you've received that sort of grace and generosity, what it does is it causes you to want to be compassionate, forgiving, and generous to others. I saw this on a real kind of micro level uh, with my own kids this week. Uh, I promise you, I, I really do, that they're not always this nice. Uh, but every once in a while, uh, we see something amazing happen. And we were at dinner. And you know when you get to like the end of dinner and there's like one thing left, right? Well, at our house, there was one biscuit left and there were three hungry kids still. And at first, they were fighting over it. And then one kid grabbed it and he looked at the other kid and said, you know what? You can have it. And they were generous. So first kid gives it to the second kid. And the second kid was so taken aback by the generosity, like, oh. And looked at the third kid and said, no, they can have it. And I thought, oh, once a month, my kids are nice. (laughs) But then I thought this, generosity is contagious. When you actually feel, when you get to be a part of being generous, it feels good. Uh, The famous English writer Carlyle once said that when he was a boy, he was at home alone one time, and a beggar came to his door. It was really popular in those days in England, and knocks on the door, and he answers the door by himself, and his parents were gone. And he said, on a youthful impulse, I ran up to my room, I smashed my piggy bank with a hammer, and I gave the beggar everything that I had. And he's writing later on in his life, and he said, I want to let you know, That in that moment, happiness came to me in such a way that it has never come to me again in the entirety of my life. It's this joy of generosity. And I think this is really the second way to work towards being cheerful when you're giving. Whether that's giving to the Lord's work or giving to others in need. Number two is this. By imitating God's generosity, you get to experience his joy. See, I actually think that one of the main reasons that so many Christians give reluctantly to others, to family members, to, to church, whatever it may be, is because they've never actually experienced the joy of giving generously. It's kind of like we read in verse 6. That yes, they've planted a few seeds, and they've gotten a tiny crop back, But this whole topic of generosity, in that case, to them, isn't actually that exciting to them because they've never actually in their whole lives gone out and generously sowed a large large crop. So they've never experienced the joy of getting a large crop back. And let me just be real clear here, uh, and I'm going to explain this a lot in this little series. This is by far from a prosperity gospel church, so I'm not even talking about the Lord paying you back financially, although he can provide for you. But it's experiencing the joy of being generous. Because when you give generously, there's a deeper joy in it. This is why Jesus himself said, lots of people attribute this to Santa, but it was actually Jesus who said it's better to give than it is to receive. You know why? It's because receiving doesn't satisfy in the same way. When you receive a lot, you're not actually deeply satisfied. To to the parents in the room, 
How many of you know that December 26th is the worst day of the year? You know what I'm talking about? Right? Your kids get so many presents from grandma and grandpa and everybody else on Christmas, and they believe what? They've been thinking about it for a month, just the anticipation. They believe that those presents are going to deeply satisfy them. And yet, sometimes this even happens by the first night, but especially by the night of December 26th, everyone in your whole house is incredibly crabby. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. Right? They're so crappy. And you know why? It's because we were convinced that we would be so happy, so satisfied if we only got toy X or toy Y. But then when we're not, that disillusion deep down is so incredibly disheartening even to a little child. Because receiving doesn't deeply satisfy. But when you give and you give to someone in need, you actually, when you go to sleep at night, you go to sleep satisfied. It's like Jesus says, it's actually more blessed for your heart to give than it is to receive. And the, the exact same is true, honestly, with the Lord's work. So in a couple of months, assuming COVID doesn't get crazy out of control or whatever, right? We never know what's going to happen in the future. In a couple of months, when you walk in to our new renovation church building, for the very first time, for the very first worship service there, for many of you, I know that you're going to walk into that building with just an overwhelming sense of joy and just a deep sense of satisfaction. And not just because it's great and it's a beautiful building, it's because you know what God is going to do there in the coming months, in the coming year or two. And you will know deep down that you sacrificed and you gave generously to make it happen. It's just a deep, deep, it's not like, oh, this is a moment I received something. It's kind of a, a thrill of excitement. It's different. It's a deep satisfaction. That's what we're talking about here. Now, it's all well and good to give generously of your finances. But I studied this passage with a number of people over the years. And they get through 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9, and we start thinking about application because that's what we do as humans, particularly as Americans. And people usually ask the same question. They finish chapter 9, and they say, okay, I'm supposed to give of uh, the finances that God has blessed me with, but how much? That's the question they ask, right? What's the number? Is it 5%, 10%, 15%? It's tithing. Tithing is 10%. This passage would say this. It would say, that's the wrong question. It's the wrong question. If you want to give cheerfully, that's our aim here, you won't be able to give so if you're giving, if you look at this, it says this right in verse 7. You won't be able to do so if you give reluctantly or under compulsion. So like if you're asking, okay, well, what am I supposed to do? You just tell me the number, like what am I supposed to You won't be able to do so. You won't be able, you, I mean, you could do it and you can give and you can write a check or give or help a neighbor or whatever, but you won't be able to do so cheerfully if that's your motivation. So it's like, well, why do people talk about numbers so much then? Let's just spend a little bit and let's talk about it. I know sometimes people are afraid to talk about this or we don't talk about it openly. We're here, we're talking about it, so let's just talk about it, right? Okay, now... 
is originally comes from the Old Testament. It was a standard of giving from the Old Testament. In fact, if you really want to be honest, faithful Jews in the Old Testament actually gave closer to 23% because as a nation, they were taxed for the temple. So giving to the Lord's work was closer to like 23%, but they tithed. They gave 10% of their crops, which for them or for most people was their income. And the New Testament, which does say a lot about money, actually doesn't say very much at all about tithing, about giving 10%. In fact, the only real reference we have is uh, Matthew 23, 23. You can look it up later if you want. Jesus is exhorting the Pharisees, and he tells them not to, not to withhold justice and mercy, and also to not neglect tithing, to giving 10%. And so because of that, because what we have in the Old Testament, we have in Matthew 23, Christians usually recommend, that's why you hear this number a lot, of 10%, of tithing the money that God gave you back to him. But sometimes people abuse this particular verse that we're looking at today in 2 Corinthians about a cheerful giver. And they kind of say, almost like a little girl at the beginning, they say, well, okay, but if I want to give from my heart, then tithing at 10% wouldn't actually make me very happy. I don't think I could do that cheerfully, so let's go with 1% or whatever it is that makes you cheerful. But I just want to tell you that that actually is a complete abuse of the passage. That's not the essence of the passage for a couple of reasons. One, no serious Bible or New Testament scholar really can make a compelling case for you that Christians should give less than 10%. It's really for a couple of reasons. One, we're in the New Covenant, not the Old Covenant. And the New Covenant is a greater and better promise. It's a greater and better covenant with greater and better demand on our lives. So why wouldn't giving look better? I mean, look at, look at the book of Acts, right? The story of the new church. What does giving look like in the book of Acts? It, it makes me gulp, personally, when I study the book of Acts. Because what are they doing? It says they're selling their possessions and sharing. They're selling their homes. They're giving up property. I mean, they're generous. There's nothing in the New Testament that makes you think, okay, this is what they were doing in the Old Testament. Let's go backwards from that. And that's why we usually say, yeah, 10%. Tithing is a good starting place, which I understand for most people in this room, probably the majority of people in this room is actually a huge leap. It's a huge leap. I don't want to understate that. I understand that. But I also think it's important that we stop misusing this verse by taking it out of context. Uh, How many of you in this room have uh, ever taken mining God's word? at our church. Raise your hand if you've been, oh, a ton of you, okay, at Renovation U in our summer classes. You know that one of the main things that we talk about in Mining God's Word is context. You can't pull a verse and say that it's saying something without studying the context of a passage. And so if we look at the context of this verse, you look at the broader context of the two chapters that it's in, and we look at the verse before it and the verse after it, I think it's actually impossible to come to the conclusion that cheerful giving means whatever is easy for you. So if we look at this particular verse, verse 7, about cheerful giving, in the broader context of chapters 7 and 8, we'll see that the generosity of Jesus makes us think differently, right? That's the the name of our series, is we as Christians are supposed to be generous like Jesus, who did what? Gave up far more than we ever will. Secondly, we can't divorce this verse from the context of the verse right before it. You remember what verse 6 said about farming? It said, whoever sows 
little reaps little. Whoever sows generously reaps generously. So I think it would be completely out of context and contradictory to the previous verse, verse 6, verse 7 about cheerful giving, being saying, to have it say, to be a cheerful giver, give less. It contradicts what verse 6 just said before it. And then thirdly, you also can't divorce this cheerful giving verse from the verse right after it. So look at verse 8 of our passage. It says, And God, when you give, is able to bless you. God is able, that is a good word, is able to bless you abundantly. So then all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And so if we're going to mine God's word and we're going to look at context, what we see is in the surrounding verses to this cheerful giving verse, Paul has said that if you want to see God do great things, then you're going to need to take a risk. And you're going to need to plant some seeds. And if you do, what is God's promise to you? His promise to you is that he will be faithful. I actually think the Greek here is quite helpful. You know, most of the times there's not a lot you can draw from the original languages, but we can in this case. So this letter is written in Greek. The Greek word for cheerful in cheerful giving is hilaros, which is where we get the word hilarious from. So what I'm saying is this. If you test God in this, and you begin to plant more seeds. You begin to say, you know what? I want to live generously like you have lived generously. It's saying God will be faithful to you. In fact, he will be so faithful to you that it will almost be hilarious. And I've heard that testimony from a lot of Christians over the years to say, yeah, I came, I mean, I saw this in my own life. I came to Christ and my friend said, hey, here's what the Bible says about generosity. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Seriously. Yeah but I want to obey Jesus. So you start doing it, and God is faithful. Faithful to the point that you look at him and you go like, are you serious? How did you do that? Right? It's almost, there's almost a hilarity to it. But too many of us, we never get to experience God's faithfulness and joy like that because we've only ever planted a few seeds. And here's the other problem. This kind of compounds upon itself. When you've lived a life, lived a life as a Christian, where you've only ever planted a few seeds in this generosity game. You can't give them cheerfully because you're looking at them like they're your seeds. Like, oh, I only got five of them. Or I only got seven of them. Somebody's asking for one and they're in need. You can't give cheerfully if that's how you look at it. Because every seed is a seed that you probably in your mind should hold on to and you need. But when you give generously and yet God still provides for you, And it's so amazing, so amazing to the point that you actually sit back and laugh at it. Well, then, yeah, it's actually fairly easy to give cheerfully. And so, yeah, we we, we typically will recommend to people that 10% is a great starting place if you want to be biblical in how you're applying this passage. And as scary as that sounds, God will provide for you. You One of the things that Billy Graham used to always say is you can't outgive God. It's impossible. Let me also say something really practical uh, for our church in this really unique season we're at now. We're you know, leaving North Point, about to move into our building. One of the things that we know about our church, one of the things that's happened over the last couple of years is so many of you are new within the last year or two. And what happened is every fall when we would get to talking about harvest 
in our building, there are many of you who are new, and you maybe had started giving a little bit to the church, or in most cases, you hadn't given anything yet because you're kind of new at the church. And we talked about how we're raising money for the building and the harvest fund, and so many of you, even though you were new, gave so generously to our building, and we're moving in that in, in there in a few months in part because of your generosity. But one of the realities of that is there are a whole lot of people in our church that are giving uh, either nothing to our general fund or something very minimal, but they're giving significantly to the harvest fund. And so in a short time, the harvest fund will be over. So if you made the original pledge, harvest ends at the end of November, although about probably 95% of you in this room did the three-month of extension, so it actually ends the end of February. And here's my challenge to so many of you that you're kind of new and you jumped on board with the harvest thing, but you didn't really have time to jump on board with the general fund thing. My challenge to you is if you're, say, giving 2% to the general fund and 8% to the harvest fund, that when harvest is over and we're in the building and it's all done, keep giving 10% if you're giving 2 and 8. Keep tithing. Keep being generous. Don't go backwards. God has been faithful, hasn't he? And trust him in that. So yeah, I think biblically, that's a great place to start. But let me say a caution on the other side of this. If you're only thinking about a mathematical number, you're also missing the point of what the New Testament teaches about generosity. And actually, you won't be able to give cheerfully either, even if you're already giving at 10% or 12% or whatever it may be. And this leads me to my third point about giving cheerfully. Number three, don't turn generosity into math. Okay, so yes, tithe, you want to be biblical. You say, I want to apply just biblical obedience to this topic. Tithe, 10%, that's a great place to start. But if you're living to hit a number, then you're actually not doing it right either. Actually, you're living under the law and not grace. Law thinking, as it's called in the New Testament, is like when, and it's, it's not what we want to do as Christians, that's like when we say, if I do X, then God will be satisfied. Like, if I give 10%, then God will be satisfied. And that's actually not even remotely what the New Testament teaches, and yet I think that's exactly how the majority of Christians think about giving. In fact, there are a bunch of you in this room that have basically tuned me out for the last 10 minutes because you go, oh, we already tithe. It doesn't matter. We hit the mark. That's not the teaching of the Bible. The New Testament is about grace, not law. The New Testament is saying that God has moved so generously in you to save you that our hearts should therefore be moved to radical generosity. And that is why our verse says, give from your heart. So when the verse says give from your heart, what it's trying to get at is give from your core motivation. What's your core motivation? It's that God has moved so mightily in me, so generously, I want to give generously. That's what it means when it says give from your heart. Give from your heart doesn't mean give so it's easy and it doesn't hurt. It's getting at what is the core motivation. And the core motivation isn't like, oh, I hit 10%, I hit a mathematical number, and now God is pleased with me. That's not it either. You're just making a mistake on the other side. We want to give because Jesus has been generous to us. 
We should be generous, not just with our finances, but really with our whole life. Uh, Let me tell you another problem with how I think a lot of modern American Christians kind of look at tithing. I think when you just talk about 10% all the time, in many churches it's like every week, 10%, make sure you all give 10%. It inadvertently ends up creating compartmentalization in the Christian's life. As if, here's this 10%. Sometimes I hear it taught this way in churches. They'll put, have you ever seen this? They put like 10 apples on like a table. They're trying to explain 10%. And they'll say, okay, this apple, this part is what you give to God. And then sometimes they'll recommend the second apple, another 10%. We recommend you you do that with your savings. But the other eight, the other 80% is for you, for your life. And honestly, that's not a biblical application of Jesus' teachings on finances either. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul or Jesus saying, okay, i got to set aside my denarii right here, 10% for God, but the, all the others, that's for me to live out my own wishes and desires. But you can't even fathom that because the reality is everything you have is God's. Everything. Scripture teaches that we are just his stewards. We're just stewards of God's creation, of his possessions, of his money. And so we're wrong when we compartmentalize and we say, oh, no, this is my house. Is, this, is, this is for helping other people. This is for God, but my house is mine. My money for entertainment is mine. My possessions are mine. And when you compartmentalize, you miss it because God wants to use your house for hospitality wants to use your possessions to share with other people when you compartmentalize like you've satisfied some sort of requirement you miss the opportunity to be generous just say your coworker or your neighbor is just really hurting christian if you've gone well i've hit my 10 percent. i don't really need to do anything i've satisfied you, you completely miss the heart of jesus and the heart of jesus is a heart of generosity And that's why if you get so focused on math, you misunderstand Jesus and you misunderstand generosity. But if you can see that everything you have, everything you have is a generous blessing from God, it's easy to be generous. I always say it's always easier to give away someone else's money, right? Well, what we have is it's God's. And if you can trust that God will provide for you, well, that makes it easier too. In fact, next week, we're going to keep going a little bit in this passage, and we're going to talk about the freedom of generosity and how if we live free and we generously give, God actually frees us from not only looking negatively at giving, but from the anxieties that we have regarding it. So I want you to just start diving into this. Start diving into the love that Jesus Christ has for you, that he died for you, that he was generous for you. I want you to read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 this week. And then I want you to start praying. Every single one. I mean, you should do this every week when you hear the teaching from the Word of God. But I want you to to take some time and ask God on this and say, God, what does it mean for me to be obedient in this topic? What does it mean for me as I look at your generosity? How do you want me to be generous? Start asking him about that and trust him. Because I want you to not only be generous with your life, but ideally what the text is saying to us today is we want to get to a place where we do so, not begrudgingly, but cheerfully. And I believe God can do that. Let me pray.
Jesus, we thank you for your teaching on this, that we can give cheerfully because you gave so generously to us, God. May we reflect you. May we look like you. And God, may you use our generosity to lift up your name. It is in your name we pray. Amen.